Good morning. We're studying the book of Timothy. And uh, for those of you that uh, are in podcasting and as you travel, I want to encourage you to continue to listen to Paul as he speaks into the mind of Timothy. And so we're on chapter 2. But before we move on, let me read the the, the charge, because the charge that is put upon a man of God or a woman of God has to be fulfilled. It's impossible to have a charge put upon your life with imposition of hands by the elders and the person that receives the charge do something else totally contrary to what the charge was. And that's where one of the things that, uh, that is uh, undefined is that in the old church, the bishop would simply just put, a, put a, a, a charge, but wouldn't identify the charge. The only charge a pastor can have is to be in a local church for the rest of his life without any interference with anything else. And we're finding out that's one of the biggest global mistakes because the charge has to be specific. There's no charge in the Bible or anointing in the Bible or, or, or imposition of hands in the Bible that wasn't specific. Beginning with David all the way down to Abraham, specific. And so, verse 18, chapter 1 of Timothy says, This charge I commit unto you, son Timothy. So it's a very kind word, son Timothy. In other words, you're my son in the Lord. According to the prophets which were went before on you. And so, Many of you that are listening, I have put my hands on your head and I have prayed a prayer. Some of you have been anointed specifically for a very large call. And so today, as I look to the spectrum of, of 1970s all the way to uh, 2022, many of you are pastors and leaders in your community and churches everywhere. Now, the call was specific. The prophecies were specific. My father prayed with me uh, at the night of uh, July the, the 3rd, 1960. was very specific. It was one hour of prophetic prayer. And so now, as, as, as Paul says, holding faith in, in, in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, meaning that they didn't put faith as a priority. They shipwrecked their faith. So now, let's go back to continue in chapter 2. Verses 1 to 3. Okay, I exhort, therefore, 
the first of all. So what he's going to say now has to be put in priority. He said, first of all. Notice that Paul is being very specific. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving thanks be made to all men. Now when I read that, okay, I didn't pay much attention to it because it's just simply uh, just uh, whatever. Paul is just talking about prayer. But he is saying, first of all, so now he made a charge. He remembered Timothy of the, of the imposition of hands, which is in chapter 4, verse 14 of 1 Timothy. We've been talking about that. And then suddenly he goes into an exhortation. Now the exhortation, he puts into priority prayer, first of all. Now is that important? Very important. Because if you're called of God, you have a life of prayer. If, you don't know, if, you don't, if you're not called of God, you don't have a life of prayer. And if you are trying to be within the will of God, you've got to go back to prayer. Now, the first thing he says, he says, first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving thanks be made to all men. He mentions supplication. Now, you don't have to pay attention to that, but you got to. Because the verb supplicate is the verse binding. It's Matthew 16. It's Jesus speaking to Peter. And when you go to Matthew 16, you get caught onto that scripture because it has to be identifying the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is identifying his ministry to, to Peter. Remember that. And so, if you go to uh, Matthew 16, 19, let's go take a look and go in there. Matthew 16, I need to find 16, there it goes. Uh, verse um, 19. Let's go there. And he says, and of course, you know, and I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, well, Jesus asked him who, who, the, who, who he was. And, and Peter answered, uh, uh, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. So there's an identification there. And then the next thing it says, flesh and blood has not revealed this truth, my Father who is in heaven. Meaning, that's by, you only know Christ by revelation. Then, he says, and I say to you, you are Peter, Jesus says, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail again. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth is loosed in heaven. The word binding here is supplicating. It's a Greek word, famous word, that simply says a form of warfare prayer. Now, why did Paul use a warfare prayer? As he began, because in the charge that he received from Paul, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy this, that you by them, the prophecies, might war a good warfare. So it would be impossible to begin chapter 2 without referring to the good warfare. What is a warfare? It is somebody that is called of God. 
that has the understanding of a prayer in the mode of binding. You cannot use another verb after you have used the verb good warfare because a call of God. Let me, let me explain. After I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I had a 10-year period in Athens where I saw some of the most horrible things I ever will see and I never will want to see again. I see demons of very different kinds. I see women that, that had supernatural physical power to lift a wooden table, 400-pound table with one hand. I had uh, a, a, a visual fixture of teeth coming out of nowhere trying to attack me and coming directly. So I had a 10 years of, I, see, I, see, I, I saw a young man with nails that was about a five-inch nails, like an animal in a basement of a house, locked up. I, I saw a man in jail in a fourth apartment on a Rio de Janeiro a building, and the woman would clean him up with water and a hose, a naked man full of demons. I mean, I've, I saw things that I, I've never been able to tell you or to remember because they're very grievous. They're very ugly. Now, now, why did I see that? Why did I experience that type of thing? Because a call, a good call, wars. A good call from God sweats, fights. And it's now, why did Jesus went to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights? The same thing. Anybody with a call of the Holy Spirit of God will have to face a time identifying yourself as to who you are in the presence of demons. And so, pastors that are listening to me this morning say, Rick, I, I, I had that experience. I had that problem. I remember that I, I was in a church and this woman in the choir, you know, <laughs> Satan attacks the choir primarily. Number one place of warfare. It's not in the kitchen. It's not in the office. It's in the choir. And if you, if you know Methodism, like I know for 42 years, demons I co congregate Wednesday night in the choir. And so, and so, and so, uh, I remember that. I remember that. So when he, when he begins the exhortation, uh, he uses the verb uh, supplication, the adjective of supplication. Now look at John 1.25. Christ, the word Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the name. Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one. So the anointing comes through Jesus because he has all the anointing. In the measure that nobody has, never will have. It simply meaning the, the anointing, it, it, it changes in variation according to what you understand is and what your experience is, and one of the experiences that increase the anointing is, is, is the expression of a demon. By the way, the expression of a demon is the end of it, but it's part of the call. So, anointed means being set aside for service. Anointed means being called of God, set aside. People were looking not for just an anointed person. They're looking for the anointed one. So the verb, the verb supplicate here is someone that's been anointed with imposition of hands. I've been telling you about this idea of who you are in the kingdom of God. I've seen men in Brazil that 
were anointed in, with imposition of hands and left the ministry and bankrupt and had to return to the ministry. Uh, I remember a young man uh, called Jim Hood from North Carolina who was an engineer and he was anointed and with imposition of hands and until he finished seminary God would not open a single door for him to eat until he opened the door to return to the call. So, so the call begins and is sealed with supplication. The verb lose here is the same verb you find when Jesus tells his disciples to lose the donkey before the triumphal entrance. The same verb. So I just want to explain to you why did Paul uh, use supplication. Because identifies them. Well, let's take a look. Intercessions. Supplication is an intense form of binding. It's power against demons. It's power against darkness. It's power against attacks of the enemy. It's power against any voice who rise up against you. Giving thanks is praise and worship. Intercession is a continuous prayer. Repetitive continuous prayer. And by the way, attached to intercession is tongues. Because intercession without tongues is almost impossible. We're not going to get into that. But when he says intercession here, it's referring to prayer in the spiritual realm. Jude verse, chapter, verse 20. So the call from God depends on a list of prayer. So after he charges Timothy, the next thing he does is develop a life of prayer. Now, I'm talking to leaders and to Bible teachers and to people who are gifted in, in, in working the life of the church. You don't have a life of prayer. You're just surfacing. God can't use you because you're out of, out of His perfect will. And, and by the way, God will test you if you are in fact someone He can use. And He put some, some uh, how do you say, some tests in your life. And He put you in, 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 to embarrass you. And He will tell you to say something that you will never say in the presence of anybody else. And every time I hear the Lord testing me, I just charge. I just charge. Because I want Him to know that I'm not going to please anybody. I'm not a pleaser of men, and I'm not going to do it. And so at my age, I already proved enough that if He calls me to do something, I'll do it. But still, in my age level, if I do not have a life of prayer, I have no ministry. And so you have to develop that life of prayer. Amen? Some days at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and, uh, and that continues, and I, and I stay on it, put on it, and, uh, and, and I don't know what the Lord is going to do, but I'm just in prayer, just, uh, just supplicating, I'm giving thanks, and I'm interceding for all kinds of things that come to my mind. Next, Paul leads Timothy to understand what's the will of God. It's between verses 4, verses 4. Verse 4. What is the will of God in the life of Paul? The primary, number one, clear factor. Number one, 
major part of a call. If he didn't do that, he wouldn't be discipling Paul correctly, uh, Timothy correctly. And so, if I'm discipling you, I want to tell you that after prayer established in, the, in your life, the next thing is who will have... Now, for this is good and accepted the sight of our God, our Savior. Let me read, uh, finish the exhortation. Giving thanks made by all men for kings and for all who are in authority. That's the call that is identified with Acts 5, 9.15. You can see it. Look to 9.15 in Damascus. That's the call. He, he refers to that. Mentally, Paul goes back to that 9.15 call in Damascus. For kings and for all who are in authority, civil government, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. <laughs> which, which is a wish. <laughs> you know, there's nothing really quiet and peaceable in the life of Paul. You know, as he began to follow the will of God, he ends up in jail, and they, and they hurt him real bad, and took some blood from his back, and he's just all full of blood in a, in a jail, singing and praising the Lord. <laughs> and, and an angel appeared and opened the door, and he got out. So, but it's, it's, it's what he wanted. He wanted a peaceful life. Don't think you're going to get it. I can tell you my personal experience. I've hadn't had any peaceable life, period. It's been a war. It's been kicking dust. It's been demons of hell. It's been mission trip after mission trip. You know, when you have a trip of 12 hours by bus, it's not peaceable. You know, so how many trips did we have? I'd say about 25, 10, 10, 25 hours of bus ride. 24 hours of bus ride from Pewter to Timote and back. I want you to know that if that if that does not change your idea of peacefulness, I don't know what it is. And then he goes on and says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Meaning, you do that, that's good, and God will love you for that. Then he says this, Who will have, who? God. Who will have men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And so the idea here is, is that salvation of men, salvation of the lost, is critically, majorly important in a call. Not to build a church. You know, I've seen pastors whose ministry is remembered because he built the church. But when you go inside of the church, there's a bunch of pews that never been sit on. You're talking about 500 seats that never smelled warmth from a human body. And so, keep the main thing the main thing. You know, in Brazil, when we go, we make an uh, invitation for salvation even before saying how how do duty. As we as we as I get to the pulpit, I, I, I just call Coca-Cola, and the line spread out of 30, 25, 30 people because the Brazilian church joined the American church, and so instead of 15 people, we have 30. They all come preachers that come from everywhere and we make a big line and I make a very very hot invitation for salvation and oh my God oh my God and I sing one of those Brazilian songs and after I finish the song they're all up front and we begin to pray for them and it takes an hour that's just to begin five hours later oh my God we're inside of the bus you know the feeling 
that really warms my heart is when you open your jacket and you touch inside. It's, it's, it's humid. It's all wet. In other words, you sweat it for five hours. So, God's will comes after prayer. Then, I want to continue. I had a lot of scriptures here that I didn't use, but let's move on. The next thing is the centrality of the cross. Because if you are going to follow Paul, Paul is basically centered upon the cross. And he identifies it very clearly that prayer, salvation, is directly connected to the mediator. So verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, For there is, in other words, after I said all that I said, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. No saints in between. Nothing in between. And for those of you that are Catholic, I want you to pay attention to this very much. God loves you and God cares for you. God thinks highly of you. And He wants to know you. So you learn how to come directly to Him for prayer. You don't have to go to a saint to ask help. He is the mediator, Jesus Christ who gave himself a ransom for all. This is referring to the fact that the Lord's death was spontaneous in involuntary service, involuntary sacrifice on his part. The word ransom here refers to the price he paid. 1 Peter 1.18. When you read 1 Peter 1.18, it just blesses your life to see how Paul is so Christ-centered. Verse 18 says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, when you read that, you can't be more clear that, that prayer is to Christ that God's will is to salvation of man. And the centrality of Christ comes in from verse 5 and 6. Who gave himself a ransom to be testified in due time. So let's begin to slow down a little bit. And I want to ask you. If you have a life of prayer, it will confirm the call for the day. You know, businessmen ask me, how, how, what prayer... Can prayer affect sales? Oh, yes, it can. Because you begin to move toward the will of God on the third street, turn left. Instead of going to the right, you go up. In other words, I, I, uh, I work on this a lot. Lord, I want to hear your voice specifically about direction. And I was a young evangelist and just hot as it can be, just, uh, just preaching without notes and flipping the Bible and just moving, you know, uh, moving toward uh, areas of uh, Louisiana, such as uh, 
uh, or, or Michigan, you know, Sault Ste. Marie, Ispining, close, close to Canada, or, or to Lake Charles, Louisiana. Oh, I remember those days driving from church to church as if the Lord opened the door the day before. Can you come to my church? And I got down there, that package. The church is packed. And, and you begin evangelism just in the rough. I remember those, those, those days. And uh, as I began to, uh, began to prepare uh, for, for, for the message, I, I have to read, uh, read 1 Peter 1, 18 20, through Christ Jesus, through His precious blood, and make an invitation for salvation just out of the start, without even singing a song. And so, as you, as you grow in your faith, you have to understand first that prayer follows the call. Then after that, the will of God is for salvation. That's the main call. And then the centrality of Jesus as the mediator. Very important in the middle of any mission field everywhere. You know, Peru is a country that has a lot of things in stake these days. When you go to the mountains, the driver says, throw some candy out of the window because the gods will be pleased. And I tell him, give it to me, I'll eat the candy. There's no God out there except the mountain. And so, let's see what says now on chapter 2, verse 7, because it's a continuation. Prayer, God's will, who is the mediator? And he goes to verse 7. And he returns to the fact of the ordination. He sort of goes back and forth to the ordination. He says, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak in truth, I lie not, because the people question. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Now look at, look at Paul, look at Paul. I will, therefore, I want this. I want to tell you, I want men to pray everywhere. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I, lifting up holy hands. Now, you know that that, that according to the traditional church, is Pentecostal. And, and that's an affirmation that is derogatory and totally out of order. You should never come in the presence of God without lifting hands. You say, but that's just a New Testament, you know. Uh, how about in the Old Testament? Well, uh, Lamentations 2.19 says, Arise, cry out in the middle of the night, the beginning of every watch. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord for the life of your children who faint for direction at the head of every street. Lift your hands before the Lord for the life of your children who faint for direction. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. It's not Pentecostal. It says, Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Without wrath and doubting. So, I will therefore pray that men pray everywhere. Now let's take a look back at this station of development. You're talking about this book is written 10 years after the resurrection and crucifixion and resurrection. It's fresh stuff. This is also written to build the life of Timothy. All right? And then... So, if you have been prophesied by the elders to your call, if you have been called, if you are not happy with where you are, if you desire the Lord to talk to you, I want to pray with you today. I gave you directions, okay? 
I gave you direction. I told you about chapter 2, that after the charge, you have a life of prayer you have to develop. Then after that, you have to know God's will, which is salvation of man. That's priority. Then number three, you have to know who's in charge, the mediator, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. And then he says, I, I, I give his testimony. I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. What do you mean by that? Okay. Ephesians 4.11. Preacher is actually the pastor. The teacher is first, the pastor. The evangelist. And then the prophet. And then the apostle. Now, these three are in evolution. They, they work as, as you grow. So Paul is the fast evolution of a faith in a human being in the whole Bible. The number one, the, the only, only Christ su, 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 supersedes that. Why God was so in a hurry with Paul? Because of Timothy. And notice that this is the beginning, going to chapter 13, to chapter 16, of, of the first missionary journey, in which Barnabas was a part of it. And so I want to pray that perhaps you have a call in your life. But you've never been able to, to receive. So, Heavenly Father, God, Lord, uh, you, can be call, you can call somebody to be a teacher. Not just a Sunday school teacher who can't see, but a Sunday school teacher that can see in the eyes of the hurting, of the lost. Lord, uh, I pray that you call this person and give him eyes to see. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here who is a shepherd, who needs to be in a place of leadership in the life of the church, that you remove them from being nothing to a church and become a pastor to these small churches that are hungry to hear the gospel. Father, I pray specifically that there is an evangelist that is uncalled, that today the call will come to this evangelist. I pray, God, that this old man who's been in church a long time will become the prophet who speak out of nowhere clearly the voice of God for the community, for the church, for his family, and for his membership. God, that he will speak out clearly. And I pray, God, that those who are becoming apostles will move into missions to preach the gospel to every creature which is, God, your request and your call. In Jesus' name, amen.